0: And welcome. It is Monday morning, December the 7th. December the 7th. You know what we connect with December the 7th? It's the day that shall live on an infamy, right? Bombing of Pearl Harbor. You know, it's amazing how quickly people forget things. We don't need to worry about Pearl Harbor. A lot of people have forgotten 9 11. Remember that we will never forget? Well, such is the nature of human existence, we kind of get wrapped up in other things. But nevertheless, some remember. It's good to be with you this morning. Again, it's December the 7th. We are just blazing through before we know it. It'll be Christmas morning. And speaking of Christmas stuff, I don't know what it looks like at your house today, but mine, uh, it's, it's, it's a little hard to see. It's a winter wonderland out there. Man alive, the snow is coming down. Maybe that'll help. Yeah. Everything is covered in snow. It's something else. I'm excited. And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon, at least not in Spotswood. So um, I'll take it. I didn't know it was coming today, but hey, nice surprise. Um, but it is good to be with everybody this morning. Today we come to an interesting portion of the gospel according to john we're we're making our way through chapter 12. chapter 12 was one of those larger chapters it's 50 verses okay so big chapter here lots and lots of things are going on we're entering into a time of big chapters if you recall we've seen some pretty incredible things happening over the last few days together Everything from Jesus being anointed by, by Mary of Bethany, um, the triumphal entry, him dealing with the Greeks, him dealing with Jews. Oh, and not the least of which, oh, I don't know, raising Lazarus from the dead. Y'all, come on. It's amazing. Just incredible stuff. And, and, and Jesus is still making his way around. You know, it, a lot of things have changed technology wise. But really and truly, people haven't changed in two thousand years. People haven't changed all that much, period. We still have a sinful nature um, and we still operate in disbelief because after Jesus had done these things i'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but in verse thirty seven Jesus starts out of John chapter 12 by saying, or it's John starts out by saying, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. Y'all, um, you might say, well, we don't have signs like that today. Really? You can't see the Lord's hand at work in the world around you today. You know people say, well there 's all this evil in the world, all these terrible things, yes, exactly, and the fact that that half of the world isn 't a smoking piece of glass from nuclear warfare. You think about the nuclear weapons that we know about, okay I 'm not talking about the nuclear weapons that governments are in possession of that we have no clue about in terms of of their power or even the quantity of weapons that they have that we don 't even know about. The fact that the world is not a smoldering heap of ashes, why do you think that is? Now, I'm not making this comment about any one political leader, but really and truly, you think about the political leaders around the world, it's only because of God's hand at mercy. It's a miracle that we still function on a daily basis, right? Um, Look at what's going on with the coronavirus. It would be so much worse If God's hand of mercy were not so clearly on display, yet people still don't believe him. And that's on the grand scale in our daily lives. Every single day, God is working. Every day. We take so many things for granted. Everybody does. You know, have you driven a car lately? Well, if you've driven a car, then statistically speaking, you put yourself in grave danger of some type of terrible traffic accident. Um, If you've been on the interstate, especially Interstate 81, or if you're coming from South Carolina and you're on here this morning, if you've been on Interstate 85, which is like Saddam Hussein's highway of death, right, and the fact that you didn't get killed, or if you're in Greenville, if you've been on Woodruff Road, you know, I mean, so really and truly, y'all, we take so many things for granted that the Lord does in our lives every day. The Lord blesses us in ways we don't know about. The Lord protects us in ways. That we don't even know about, and so what John has said here at the start of our passage in verse thirty-seven, we could say of, of our modern age that even though Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, that's not the same variety of miraculous signs. But but you could substitute even though God's hand of power is on display in the world around us, people still don't believe. But today we're going to get to why people really don't believe. Okay. Two main reasons are spoken of here, but I'm getting ahead of myself. It's good to be with everybody this morning. I see Jenny. Good morning. And there's Alice and Christine. Good snowy morning indeed. Yes, I'm pleased with that. Isabella to going to be shocked and surprised, and that's great. And there's Monica. Blessed Monday to you as well. Let's go ahead and get started. We're in John chapter 12, and we are in verse 37. Um, the, as I've already read it, but I'll read it again. It says, After Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now what, pause right there for a second. John is actually quoting Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, right there. Remember what Isaiah is. Isaiah was the prophet of God, much like Jeremiah and the other prophets, but he was the prophet of God that was sent to Judah with the explicit warning to tell God's people, and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but he said to God's people, look, if you don't turn away, From these false gods and goddesses, if you don't turn away from these idols, then the Lord is going to destroy you. All right. That's the message that Isaiah was given to take to to, to Judah. Um, Now, interestingly enough, when God called Isaiah, he flat out told him the people are going to listen to you. But God, in his mercy, said that he would preserve a remnant for himself right? A remnant for himself. And so throughout the book of Isaiah, you have these interesting pockets, right? Where you have deep, dark, heavy judgment, um, statements of judgment on God's people about their infidelity, how they've run off, and the, the metaphor is marital infidelity, but how they've run off after these gods and goddesses, and they've turned away from, they've forgotten God, But you also find these little pockets of prophecy, like Isaiah 9. I talked about that not yesterday, but two weeks ago in my sermon. And you find prophecies of the Christ. Some people call the book of Isaiah uh, the gospel of Isaiah, even. And we're going to find out why in part. Um, But he quotes Isaiah 58 here, um, or excuse me, Isaiah 53 here. And then he keeps on going. And he says, for this reason, They could not believe because Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and so hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Okay, and that's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What's Isaiah talking about here, and what is John talking about? He's talking about the very nature of humanity. The very nature of who we are until the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts. You know, that Acts chapter 2 is really the paradigm for this, where we find out the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. And we find out from Acts chapter 2, we find out from elsewhere, what's being referenced here is how salvation really works. That naturally, in and of ourselves, we have eyes that are blind. We have ears that they don't hear. We're we're animated corpses. We're dead in our sin and our transgressions, according to Paul. But the beauty of salvation is that when we are saved, it's not because we wake ourselves up. It's not because we decide all of a sudden, oh, hey, I I think I'm going to do this instead. How many decisions do corpses make? Obviously none, because they're dead already. When we are saved, it's because the Holy Spirit regenerates us. Our heart of stone is taken out and replaced by a heart of flesh that's beating. Our eyes that are covered by scales, to use the biblical metaphor, the, the scales come off and we can see. Our ears, that were deaf, can once again hear. The Lord makes us alive through his Holy Spirit so that we can have faith. And when we're alive in the spirit and we see Jesus, then we see his glory. That's the problem with the world around us. That's what's missing. There's a difference because of that. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. There is such a thing Now, sometimes the scripture uses the term believe on Jesus. What's implied in that is belief that results in life action, right? Not simple uh, mental acceptance, right? But again, I'm getting ahead of myself now. uh, It's interesting what is said next by John. After quoting Isaiah here and talking about these things, in verse 41, he says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, this is a tidbit verse that could so easily be overlooked, but in it, so much is revealed about the nature of salvation itself, especially as it pertains to those living in the Old Testament. And, and this is a, a minority kind of verse here. You don't see verses like this very often. You have this in John chapter 12. You got Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about this. Paul talks about Abraham believing in it, being credited to him by righteousness or, or as righteousness. But nevertheless, this little obscure verse teaches us so much about how salvation really works. So many times people ask me, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Because Jesus had not yet come. And the answer is revealed here in in John 12, 41. It's revealed elsewhere in the New Testament. The way that people were saved in the Old Testament is the same way you and I are saved today. It is through faith, period, the end. As it is said of of Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Hebrews 11, we find out that the reason Abraham kept on living in a tent instead of building the grandest palace anybody had ever seen was because Abraham was always looking. He was always looking for the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. He was looking for the king that was promised. He was looking for the city whose builder and architect was God. Abraham kept looking for heaven, and he never stopped. And we see here that with Isaiah, Isaiah spoke these prophetic words looking forward to the glory of Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus had not yet been born. Oh, that's true. But all the way back in Genesis 3, the Messiah was prophesied, y'all. Really and truly, we're we're not going to read it this morning, but go back to Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, right, God came and he dealt with the serpent. He dealt with Adam and Eve, but he made a promise that one day the seed of the woman would rise up and the serpent would strike his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent. All the way back at the beginning, we see the start of this grand redemptive plan. When Isaiah gave these prophecies, now it was the Lord giving them through Isaiah, but nevertheless, Isaiah looked forward and saw the glory of the coming Messiah, and he believed on the Messiah. And here's the interesting thing. Isaiah's belief in the Messiah, his trusting in the Messiah, resulted in real faith. Faith, which is not just about mental acceptance but faith that is about action. Again, we're not going to read it, but I would encourage you today to read Hebrews chapter 11. It goes through all these examples of people that trusted God and lived, not by sight, but by faith. And we see this long list of people that that, true salvific, saving faith is what is credited for why they did what they did. That's a glimpse that we see. So how are people saved in the Old Testament? Same way that they are saved today, which is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is they may not have known the name Jesus Christ, but they knew God the Son. They knew the Messiah was coming, right? So well, that's a, a complicated subject. And I'm not saying that you can follow Allah or Buddha or anything like that. No, Jesus is the only means of salvation. But that's for another time. We're, we're running out of time. Now, um, verse 41 says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And this is where things get interesting. Yet at the same time, many even, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, many even among the leaders believed in him. Now, this is John switching to present day. right, he's, he's talking about Jesus having performed the miraculous signs. And he's saying, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Another way to look at this is they loved the things of men more than the things of God. You all what John is talking about here, he's pointing to a serious sickness, especially in United States Christianity today, and especially in the South. We got all sorts of people out there that believe that Jesus is the son of God. You ask them. They'll tell you. They they believe Jesus died on the cross for sinners. The issue is, while they may have that thought in their head, their faith is not genuine. Why? Like I started out with, people hadn't changed, y'all. We try to say that all the time. We talk about how advanced we are. Please. We're as barbaric now as we've ever been. We just clean it up a lot. We murder our children in nice clinics, and we call it Planned Parenthood. Come on. That's just one example. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Back to this. The same issue that was going on 2,000 years ago with these leaders who secretly believed, you know what? Jesus probably is the Messiah. He probably is the Son of God. Yet their faith was negated. Why? Because even though they knew it in their mind, they didn't live it out. Now, this is where we need to be careful. Understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the faith that we have, that our salvation is based on what we do. We are saved by grace through faith alone, and this is the gift of God alone so that no man may boast, right? I'm not saying that faith is based on what we do, but I am saying that faith is shown in what we do, okay? It's kind of like Martin Luther is credited with saying, I don't know if he said it, but i it makes sense given some of his writings right that that men are not saved by good works but saved men do good works you know the good works that we do they're not the, the they're not in the equation of our salvation because we're saved by faith alone but it's the good works that we do that are evidence of our salvation in the same way evidence of our faith is what we actually do we got all kinds of people out there that say they believe in Jesus And and understand me, what I'm about to say here, filter this through coronavirus. I know that there are people that are choosing not to go to church, and it's very legitimate because of, of issues with coronavirus, and they have a propensity to face sickness. So separate that out. I know I'm in dangerous territory here, but let me say this much. If you have the courage to go to restaurants, if you have the courage to go to ball games, if you have the courage to go shopping at Walmart, if you have the courage to do all these things, yet you say, "Well, I can't go to church." y'all, it's time to get real about some things here. I love you too much to not." and at the same time, um forget about the coronavirus. There are all sorts of people out there that talk about love and Jesus. My goodness, Facebook fills up with it. I don't have anybody in particular in mind, but y'all, there's all kinds of stuff about people that say, oh, I love Jesus. They don't ever darken the door of a church. Let me tell you something. I've said it here before and I'll say it again now. You can't love Jesus if you don't love the people that Jesus loved and Jesus died for the church. All right. Don't give me any of this. Well, the Bible doesn't say I have to go to church. It says everything but. In fact, the whole New Testament is written to ding, 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 churches. Okay? So it's assumed that out of gratitude and out of worship, because you love God, you'll go to to worship God with the people of God. Nevertheless, nevertheless, y'all, back to what this is saying, because I'm going to start really preaching here, and I don't want to do that. Getting back to what is said here, Jesus or John puts his finger on something with these Pharisees and he reveals that they might believe the right things about Jesus in their noggin, but it never manifests itself in actual real faith lived out. We ought to read this as a warning. We really should. Because it's not good enough to just know something in your brain. Um, remember what James wrote, right? James in in the book of James wrote, you believe in God? Well, Well, the demons believe in God and they shudder. So simple belief is not enough. We need some wheels on our faith, right? Because simple belief is one thing, but faith is something altogether different. So it continues in verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, <clears throat> Excuse me, then Jesus cried out, "When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You know Jesus really shucks the corn here all the way down to the kernel. If you say you believe in Jesus, you ought to be living in the light. Because this whole priester uh, thing where I'll show up to church on Christmas and Easter, this whole, I don't have time for Jesus unless something goes wrong in my life, this whole, I'll remember Jesus if I get around to him, y'all, that is living in darkness. And Jesus didn't come for you to continue living in darkness. He came for you to walk in the light. All right? Verse 47, as for the person who hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now we're going to come back to this concept tomorrow because we're out of time. But this does pose an interesting question. What is this really saying about Jesus? And what is this really saying about the nature of the gospel itself? Well, What we find here, and I'll pick up with this idea tomorrow, is that we see two purposes of the gospel being told. One, number one, is to save people. Number two is to convict people. The idea that we get from this is is that one day, while Jesus says, "Hey, right now I am not here to judge the world. This is not some ultimate statement about who Jesus is. And you know, Jesus is a friend of mine, and he'd never judge anybody." No. We know from other scriptures that, indeed, he will come and he will be the one that separates the sheep from the goats. He's talking about right there, right then, at that moment in the immediate, not ultimately. But he says something about the gospel, and we'll pick up with this concept tomorrow. You know, the gospel is told for two reasons. Again, the first is so that people will hear it and be saved. But the second is for those that reject it that later on it will be used as evidence against them, and the setting is that of a court of law. Y'all, a day of judgment is coming. What I would encourage you to do in light of everything we've read today is examine your faith and make sure that it's real faith. And real faith is not based on what you feel. Real faith. And I say this with a heavy heart, knowing that I've failed so many times. Real faith is manifest in what you do. So, given the fact that it is kind of a cloudy Monday morning here, I don't think it's such a bad thing that we don't end on the most positive note. I think it's okay to end on a note that, that quite frankly, me personally, gives me a little bit of reserve and says, makes me say to myself, you know, I need to spend some real time doing some self-evaluation. On this cloudy, dreary, I don't know what it is where you are, but on this dreary December 7th, I think it's a good thing for me to do. I think it would be a good thing for you to do too. So with those things in mind, let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word leaves us no place to hide. That this faith that you have called us to, it's not from wimps. No, absolutely not. In fact, we know that we're saved by grace alone, that we never work our way into your favor. But we know that following Jesus has a cost. Jesus has been very clear about these things. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. You call on us to die daily to ourselves. Give us the courage now, in light of everything that's been written here, to examine our faith, to pay attention. If it's really real or not. Again, please give us this courage. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've enjoyed being with you this morning. Sorry for my little preaching rant there. It happens. It is a Monday morning, and I just preached yesterday. But thank you all for coming out. I see Rose. Good morning from, oh, I bet Williamsburg is beautiful. And surely to God be the glory alone, and Christine also. Here's what it looks like in Spotswood. Yeah, it's a nice little dusting, but it's still coming down out there. I hope everybody has a good Monday. See you tomorrow, Lord willing, at 7 a.m.